time the table is set. Good morning. Welcome to Christ Church. Good to have you here in the East Auditorium. Good morning. Thanks for being here and joining us. Welcome to Christ Church, a church about lifting lives, elevating Christ, a church for those who aren't here yet. I'm Pastor Andrew, and I'm thrilled to have you guys here. It's so good to worship with you this morning. Maybe you're joining us in uh, West this morning. Thanks for being part of West and worshiping with us. Thanks for being part of Christ Church. Maybe you're joining us online this morning. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for being here this morning. Uh, and special props for you who are turning in online. You probably have the Packer game prep uh, up on one screen and Christ Church on the other screen. Uh, super good. Glad that you are in worship and joining us as a church body today. Good to be with you. Uh, we are on week two of a sermon series that we kicked off last week called We Serve. And what we're trying to do as a congregation is have a meaningful conversation between myself as your pastor, you as a congregation, and as a Christian people. We're trying to understand and have a meaningful conversation around the who, what, where, when, why of service in the life of a Christian. The who, what, where, when, why of service in the life of of a Christian. And as you had perhaps a chance to hear last week, if you missed last week, that's all right. Just a reminder for you, uh, you can always go back and listen to sermons. You can go to the YouTube page, you can go to Facebook, you can go to the archives that are on this, the website as well, Life, and you can go and re-listen if you're ever missing it. Uh, but I encourage you to do that because this is, this is critical, as we talked about last week, that when we, we talk about service, when we begin the conversation around service, the way that we enter in that conversation actually really matters particularly for those of us from a Christian lens, because of the ways in which service has been described in other spaces, uh, other places, other churches even. Uh, service, to have a really meaningful and honest conversation about it, matters how we, we, we bring ourselves to the conversation. And so this week we're going to continue where we, we built, building on last week, where we left off last week, looking at the, the what this week of service. When we talk about service, what do we mean when we use that word choice of service? Last week we talked about who and how who is really actually less to do with ourselves, service in relation to ourselves, and, and beginning to see and understand service in relation to the person of Jesus Christ for those of us who have a Christian tradition. But this morning we are going to be looking at what do we mean? When we talk about service, when we use that word choice of service, what is it that we are actually talking about? You see, believe it or not, it actually can be a little bit confusing because uh, service and the idea of service has a great plethora of uses within our contemporary culture and even within the Christian tradition. Uh, the word service is used in the Bible or, or its derivatives thereof over 800 different times, uh, 800 different times places. In, in two different languages, the Old Testament, the first half of the Bible, that stems from our Jewish heritage. As a Christian people, we have a Jewish heritage, and so it was written in Hebrew. And so you will find in there a collection of places in which that word choice of service is used in Hebrew, and then you'll find it as well in the Greek, in the New Testament. The New Testament is the latter part of the Bible, having specifically to do with Jesus' birth and onwards, the birth of the church. And there you will find as well uh, the use of of the word service happening over and over and over again, 800 times in our scriptural narrative. That's a lot. And so it's important for us when we begin to enter into a conversation about service to define for ourselves what do we mean, given how uh, prevalent its use is, but also the variety of places and spaces in which it can be used and therefore interpreted differently. And just to be clear, Service 
And the word choice of service, the idea of service is not specific or unique only to the Christian tradition. Service actually exists, and the definition for service exists beyond and outside of the biblical definition of service as well. You can go to a regular dictionary thesaurus and get an understanding of the word service. Service in the context that we're going to approach it for this morning, in a secular or non-Christian environment, service usually has to do with work. Most of the times when in our vernacular conversations, if you're out and about here or there, and you're talking about service, there are a couple broad brushstrokes that we can give to understanding what service means. The first thing is to understand service as really work-related. If you go to a restaurant and you have a good meal and the service is good, you'll leave a good tip, right? I mean, that's how it works. You're having car troubles. You go to the service center and you get your car serviced. You get an oil change, you get it fixed, you have things done to it, right? Uh, if, if you work in an environment that might be the social services industry, that would be kind of what I work in. The social services is largely the umbrella of the nonprofit world. And so services can even be an entire industry that contributes to the life and the well-being of a world holistically. The point is to understand that service, uh, beyond and outside of specifically the Christian scope, service when you're talking to your coworkers, when you're talking to friends or family out in the rest of the world, service usually has to do with and is a attached to an understanding of work, what you are doing with your hands. It's an activity. It's, it's, it's a labor. It's something that you do. Serving is something that you do. Serving is a verb, right? And this is supported not only in your regular everyday life and the context that you find yourself in, but this definition is actually underscored and supported within the biblical narrative as well. If you go into the Bible, you will find the Bible using it at certain points in times, the idea of service as connected to labor, work. Take, for example, the story of Jacob and Laban in the Old Testament, the book of Genesis. There are two gentlemen there. There's this one story, and it has to do with a guy named Jacob who labors, who works, who serves his uncle Laban. He serves him for 14 years in an effort to get a wife, and so he labors and he serves him. Or take, for example, you can go to First Chronicles and you'll see how the Bible describes farm work. They were an uh, agrarian culture, an agrarian society, and so they depended upon a farm as the primary means of, of understanding the, the, the economics of the day. And so if you were a farmer, you would work the fields, you would serve as a farmer and serve in so much as generating income. You would work. And this is one of the other ways in which we, we recognize that consistent with today as well. Or for another example, Second Chronicles, just more examples how you might serve in a, a government capacity, uh, serve in an official capacity. There are examples in the Bible where there are officials attached to a specific government and they would serve the government, they would serve society, and simply put, they would have a job for the government. And the word choice of service then is really consistently seen in both the Bible as well as beyond and outside the Bible as that work. Succinctly put, you can go to Psalm 104. Here's a, a simple example. The people would go off to their work where they would labor until evening. What's fascinating is that Hebrew word of labor has the same root source and can often be translated as serve. In Hebrew, it's the same word as serve that they would go off and they would serve, that they would live a life of service. 
Generally speaking, another broad brushstroke that we can say in relation to serving and understanding service beyond and outside of just the Christian scope would be that service is largely regarded as positive. If you are out in, in, in uh, here's an example for you. Last, last week, I was watching one of the games. I was watching a football game uh, Sunday night. I was watching the football game, and uh, one of the football guys came on there, and he talked about the importance of serving his community. Got to get back to the community. Got to serve the community. You guys ever heard that before? But service, generally speaking, broad breaststroke, there are exceptions, but generally speaking, when you use in your vernacular every day, service is generally positive. It's looked upon as like a good thing. If you talk about serving a friend, serving a parent, serving a child, serving or volunteering in a capacity in some way, serving as a coach, serving in the PTO, serving on the police force, serving in, you name it, right? Serving is generally speaking seen and understood as having a positive connotation to it. Largely, service, because it is positive, uh, often is perceived as positive because there are two parties involved. Serving is usually done to or for someone. And when you do something to or for someone, when you work for someone, it is largely regarded as being for their benefit, and therefore service is positive. Service is just kind of like a good thing in our culture at large. There are a few cases where uh, it is, in fact, perceived as being negative, uh, but usually the, the cases where you see service as being negative is when people describe someone as being self-serving. You ever heard of that before? Oh, that person is self-serving. Well, that's like a classy way of saying selfish, right? Like, that's what you're saying there. When you describe someone as being self-serving, that is to say, serving should be intrinsically in our definition and use, service should be for another person, another entity. It is bilateral, two-party. It is intended to be starting and originating in yourself and moving outward. Self-serving is when the work that you do isn't for others, but in fact curves back in for your own benefit and for your own self. Self-serving is often just really selfishness, is it not? Because it's about focusing on your own well-being and your own advancement, usually at the expense of others. Now, this is particularly interesting because everything we've talked about so far largely applies in a secular or non-Christian understanding of service. If you go to the work tomorrow on Monday and you talk about service, this is how you're going to talk about and use the definition. But there is, in fact, for those of us who ascribe to a Christian tradition, for those of us who would self-identify as being Christians, Christ followers, for those of us who have a spiritual dimension to our lives, it is vital that we actually understand and perceive the sacred dimension to the definition of service. We actually have a much more refined, robust, healthy, and meaningful definition to service for those of us as a Christian. And we actually begin to tease it out when we see, for example, here the negative or the inverse reality of service we would say that self-serving people, selfish people, Christians would perceive that as being contrary to what God would want and hope for people. 
contrary to his will, his purposes, his designs. And therefore, we would classify it as being part of this brokenness of the world, or the little word is sin. That self-serving and selfish behaviors, Christians would say that is not what God would hope for. Service is actually so much more. Life is so much more than just serving one's own self. And so it allows us to begin to see that, yes, the definition for service in the life of a Christian is not merely or simply working with your hands to do nice things for people. It's actually far, far more. Service in its Christian paradigm or in its more sacred form has to do with and is actually defined or synonymous with worship. Worship. If you go to the Bible and we begin to see how the Bible extrapolates and uses the word of service, when you see how service is used in the Scriptures, you will find that the word service, more often than not, by far away, hands down, unequivocally, there is no question as to where the bulk use of this word is used. It is used in connection with and as a synonym for worship. If you go to the Old Testament as an example, there are a set of priests, people who would lead worship. And these priests that God ordains, God says, I want these people to do this. I want them to have this priestly function. And I want them to do. I want them to work. I want them to actively, uh, with their hands, perform certain rituals, certain practices, certain liturgical elements. And through that instruction, the Jewish people developed an entire system of ritual sacrifice. They, they would take and they would have these offerings that they would bring to God in the temple. And they would, with their hands, quite literally with work, they would serve God by offering God these, these sheep and these cattle and these doves. And there was this whole process by which they would serve God with these acts of worship. And so worship became synonymous with these actions, these services. The services of God's house. In fact, we continue to use this to this very day. This hasn't really drifted away much. If you hopefully invite a friend to church, you probably don't say, hey, come to my church ritual with me. They'd like weird people out, wouldn't it? They'd be like, what kind of place are you go to, <laughs> right? Yet we do have, in fact, uh, church rituals here that are incredibly important and incredibly meaningful. We actually do things. When we gather together, we sing. We take communion. We have a baptism later today. These are vital actions and activities that serve God, worship God, and put us in a right place and relationship to God. They are the activities of church. I would encourage you, instead of saying, come to my church ritual today, you would say something like, hey, do you want to come to one of my church's services? 
Isn't that what you say? Come to church service. When do you have services? 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock, 10.30, come hang out. We use this in our vernacular because what we're trying to say is come and experience worship and the significant role that worship has in the life of a Christian. Come and participate in worship in a worship service. This is perfectly consistent through the biblical narrative. If you go into the Bible and you look for various places in which the word service is used and in deep connection, connection to worship, you'll find it all over the place. Here is one such example for you having to do with the priests and uh, it comes from the Old Testament, the Jewish heritage that we all share. Uh, it's talking about the vestments is the fancy term. Vestments have to do with the various uh, clothing that priests uh, back in the day would wear. And in fact, this morning, uh, just as a symbol for you, and this is continues to be part of our heritage, uh, Pastor Bob and I are actually wearing what we refer to as our clerical collars. Uh, this is my traditional collar. I wear this uh, every Sunday morning at our traditions service. Uh, it is a clerical Roman collar that I wear. It is the sign of my office as a pastor. It has significance in our tradition. And it is birthed out of an understanding of uh, that it is connected to my acts and calling at to serve you. To serve you. This is how I, part of the way in which I am called to serve is by living into the fullness of the, 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 the office of the pastor. And I serve you by leading you in Worship bringing you into a space in which you can understand and hear the power and the presence of the living God and what he's done for you in your life. And, and this is actually birthed out of the biblical narrative. If you go in the back of the Old Testament, you'll find that, that wearing certain things as an indicator of office was consistent. They, were, they used to wear beautifully stitched garments for the priests to wear while ministering in the holy place. That word minister, you ever heard of a pastor called a minister before? Sometimes they get called like a minister or something like that. Uh, the, the word choice there, the translation there, it's, it's actually uh, serve. It's the Hebrew word for serve. To minister is to serve, and to serve for a Christian is to minister, to bring about and move people into the presence of the living God and move this world closer to being what he aspires it to be, to, to be in sync with and bring people into and experiencing the love, the grace, and the goodness of our God. Worship. So it talks about these garments that would actually display this for Aaron and, as the priest and, and his sons as well. They would wear these special things uh, as signs of their office uh, and as a way to, to help move and prepare people and lead people in uh, the practice of, of worship. Uh, in fact, not many people know this. Jesus's uncle, Jesus's uncle, Jesus had an uncle. Maybe you didn't know that. He had an uncle. Uh, and his uncle was actually one of these priests. He was a Levitical priest, and he would go and he would wear the fancy outfits and he would show up to the temple and he would actually participate in, in, in the ritual practices, in the practices of worship. And the Bible would say that, that in fact, uh, one day Zechariah was serving, ministering, worshiping God in the temple for his order was on duty that week. You see, the Bible wants us to see and understand that service is not merely the work of our hands and a nice thing that we do for somebody. It's not just when you pull through McDonald's and you pay for the person behind you. Like, that's a cool act of service. That's nice. But there is something far more grand and, and significant in the life of a Christian when we use the word choice of service. 
when you serve as a Christian, it has to do with not only the work of your hands, but also your heart. It has to do with your heart longing for, desiring, and living into the plans, purposes, and person of God. It has to do when we serve with embracing who God is for us and who we are for God. It has to do with, 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 with what it means to live into being the person God desires and designed you to be and helping this world become more fully what, what God designed and intended and aspires it to be. And therefore, it is, well, it's worship. I love tucking my girls into bed at night. I have three girls. I talk about them all the time. I can't help it. I'm a dad, and I love them. And I get to tuck these three girls into bed. Not many of you would, would perceive it, but, but in processing and preparing for this sermon, I realized that when I love my girls in this way, and we go through the whole ritual of the bedtime story and tucking them in and the whole bit, right? It's a meaningful moment. And part of the significance of the meaning is that I am serving them. I am I'm, I'm literally physically putting blankets on them, tucking them in, getting them, finding them underneath all the stuffies and little stuffed animals and stuff. And I kiss them and I pray with them and I sing to them. I'm old school, I sing hymns to them. Yeah, still got it. And it's beautiful. It's an act of service. Because I am charged with raising these children. I have been gifted with these children. And in studying this week, I see and perceive that when I, when I tuck my girls into bed at night, that act of service is actually worship. Because I am allowing the presence of the living God to be ushered into my home. I am bringing my children into a space in which they belong and are accepted and cherished. We are experiencing the fullness of what it means to be church in those moments, me and my girls. As we worship God by serving one another, both in how I tuck them in and how they reach up and pat my little head and say, good night, Dad. It is an act and a process by which we mutually serve, love, and cherish one another and therefore bring about the worship and the glory and the joy of our God. It is not merely the work of our hands service. It is the work of our hearts as we live into, as we bring about as we receive and embrace the gift of the person of God and Jesus Christ in our lives. It is worship when you serve. Some of you have the privilege of um, wearing the orange lanyards and you might open doors here at Christ Church and welcome people. You might be part of our welcome team. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I make sure I read Thank you. That's worship. Opening doors. You don't think about that, do you? Opening doors is a faithful 
God-honoring act of worship. <coughs> Holding babies in the back. That's worship. When you go to work tomorrow and you offer up a, a, a meaningful comment to a hurting coworker, a word of encouragement, come alongside them and bless them and encourage them, you serve them with your words. You are also worshiping the living God. Well done. Way to go. There is a beauty to the Christian understanding of worship that allows us to see the connection between the actions and the doings of our everyday and a life steeped in and continuously expressing worship for our God. They are connected. And they are meant to be that way, according to the Bible. There are many other places that I could take you into the scriptures. Here's one such example that has to do with service and showing how service is connected in the life of a Christian to worship. It comes to us out of the book of Philippians. Philippians are written by a guy named Paul. Paul writes the book of Philippians. It's in the New Testament. We studied Paul this past summer. If you missed this summer, go back and learn about Paul. Fascinating guy who really did know and understand the significance of service, the significance of a life of service and therefore a life of worship. He writes this to one of the churches. He says, I will rejoice even if I lose my life, pouring it out like a liquid offering to God. He's picking up on worship language. He's a Jew and he, and he knows Jesus and he's actually a Pharisee, which means he, he's one of those priestly kind of guys. And so he's picking up by using this terminology of offering to God. Uh, that's worship language. Uh, just like your faithful service is an offering to God. He's saying, look, when you faithfully serve your, your, your life, as you serve your neighbor, as you serve your church, as you serve as coach on the t-ball team, you, you, you are engaged in making an offering of your life a worshipful act to God. You aren't just serving the t-ball team for the sake of the t-ball team. You are serving and loving those kids and bringing the opportunity for God to speak through you in a way of mentoring and cultivating future generations. And therefore, even being a t-ball coach is an act of worship. This is perfectly consistent. Notice also, this is consistent with our Christian faith. Notice also here that Paul does something very clever with his word choice. He talks about losing his life. He says, if I pour my life out, if I lose my life, if I sacrifice my life, picking up on that language of worship. Is there anybody else in the Christian tradition who understood what it meant to give one's life in service? Sacrificing his life for the well-being of others? Offering up his life 
in such a way that the world, that you and I might experience grace and forgiveness and restoration, and that God's presence and power would be ushered into the world, and we might be restored and renewed and recreated and resurrected and reconciled to the Father. Does this ring any bells? You see, Christ himself, Jesus, that upon which our faith and our tradition rests, Jesus Christ. We saw this last week. Jesus in his person is a person of service. And through his own life, death, and resurrection, he worshiped the Father. He worshiped God the Father in his service to you, and me. This is in no small way why we cannot, must not, as Christians, reduce or cheapen the significance of service in our lives, in your life. Because God served you. Jesus served you out of love for you. And Jesus' sacrificial act, his service, his act of worship where he was raised upon a cross brings about the kingdom of God in our lives, in our church, in our communities, in you. I didn't get through half the slides I hope to this morning, <laughs> but we do need to be done. And the conversation must continue. But at least this morning as Christian people, we have a better understanding of what it is we mean when we talk about service. When you serve, when we serve, we are engaged in the worship of our Lord and God. And that is a beautiful, wonderful thing. Allow me to pray for you and pray over you. Please pray with me. Gracious God, we worship you and thank you for who you are, what you have done, what you continue to do in the lives of your people. We thank you that this morning we can gather for the services of your house. We can worship you. We can serve you. We can worship and serve you and know you. We can bring before you and with our bodies, we can sing songs and, and, and we can make hugs and high fives and we can care for one another and we can open doors and we can hold babies and we can genuinely this morning embody and in flesh and work with our hands to bring about your kingdom. And we ask, Lord, that as we do so, we would do so with the right heart, a heart that receives you, a heart that knows you, adores you, loves you, appreciates you, a heart that recognizes what you have done for us, a heart that knows your grace, that knows your forgiveness. Thank you. Gracious God, thank you that you would forgive and renew and restore us this morning. And through the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ, you would teach us more fully the significance of service, the significance of worship, in our lives as your people. We pray this, Jesus, in your name. Amen.